Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And Kristen, um, I have heard of ASMR very sort of vaguely in the media, online. You know, there are articles about it. And I really thought, well, that's weird. That's silly. I've never felt that before. And then... As I started to read more about it, I realized, oh, wait, yes, you have. Starting from a very young age, when I would be hanging out with my little girlfriends in elementary school and we would be braiding each other's hair, I would get this like incredibly relaxed, almost tingly headed feeling when they were braiding my hair. And I realized that, my friend, is what these people are talking about. Yes, we're talking about autonomous sensory meridian response, known as ASMR. And it's not a clinically accepted term. Um, it's more of a neologism that has been used to describe this sensory experience, often referred to as a brain orgasm. And when uh, a listener first wrote in about this months ago now, mentioning ASMR, saying, you all should do a podcast on this. And then he described what it was. And I immediately knew what he was talking about. I didn't know that there was a word for it, Mm -hmm. but I definitely knew what he was talking about. And you mentioned your uh, girlfriends in the the hairbrushing. I had a similar experience with a babysitter who would brush my hair sometimes. And it was, she was so gentle (laughs) with it. And it would just give me tingles. And, um, so we decided after like you, you had heard more about it and you emailed me. And since that guy had emailed, I had done some research as well. And we decided to do something on ASMR, even though it's a little bit outside of our, our normal sminty wheelhouse. But among the ASMR online community, a lot of the people involved who are referred to as evokers and these we'll talk about more, but there are people who make ASMR videos to try to trigger these tingling brain orgasms. A lot of them are women. Mm-hmm. So there is a gendered aspect to this. Uh, but first, let's, let's give listeners some more information about what ASMR is, because I feel like if you haven't experienced it, it seems very strange. Right. And it was originally greeted with a lot of skepticism, especially from science, the scientific community. People are like, that's eh, not really a thing. But a lot of people have come out and said, no, if people experience it, it is real. And um, one neuroscientist, Stephen Novella, said that it's similar in that way to migraine headaches. We know they exist as a syndrome primarily because many different people report the same constellation of symptoms and natural history. So, Basically, um, what people are experiencing is certain triggers, which we'll talk about in a second. Certain triggers set off this feeling of relaxation. A lot of people use it, for instance, to overcome anxiety or to overcome insomnia and be able to sleep at night. And it's accompanied sometimes by by the tingles. So your your scalp might tingle. The sensation might go down your arms and legs and some of these videos um, actually have been flagged on uh, like YouTube, for instance, for adult content or inappropriate content because 
it's like some people associate it with almost a fetish community, but that's really not that's really not the gist of it. It's really not meant as like a sexual thing or meant to excite people sexually. It's it's sort of the opposite. Yeah, and to to give some better insight into what that sensation is, there are all sorts of colloquialisms for ASMR and and the experience of it, such as attention-induced euphoria, attention-induced head orgasm, attention-induced observant euphoria, braingasm, buzzing, celestial wash. Doesn't Mm. that sound nice? like to take a celestial wash. Um, and that one's more related to spiritual theory. Some people get very into it and almost derive like a whole meditative state mm-hmm. from ASMR. Goose looping. Which sounds like a euphemism for masturbation, I would just like to say. Yes, it does. That's, that, once you start talking about goose looping, you're probably going to get flagged on YouTube. Uh, but also, hairgasm, headgasm, nervalanche. How about that portmanteau of nerve and avalanche? And I understand that because it sometimes does feel like it's swooping from the top of your head all the way down to your spine. And then finally we have WHS or weird head sensation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is an interesting feeling. And something that I was thinking uh, and a lot of other researchers have asked, too, is, is this not just something that we all experience in one degree or another at one time or another? And maybe we're just now coming together and talking about it. Thanks, Internet. Well, I don't know if it's a thing that everybody experiences. It could be that ASMR is a lot more common than it might seem when you hear words like uh, headgasm, celestial wash. You know, you might hear that and say, no, that doesn't happen to me. But when you consider the range of ASMR triggers that people have identified and then the online community started to make videos of to sort of stimulate that auditory response, uh, the triggers include things like uh, soothing voices. NPR is a big trigger for a lot of people. And Bob Ross. Yes. The uh, Let's Paint uh, Happy Trees. Happy <laughs> Trees Bob Ross is a common trigger. I don't on almost any ASMR yeah. blog you'll hear about Bob Ross. And I briefly <laughs> listened to a little Bob Ross audio and I totally got it. I get it. No, I totally get it. I remember watching it as a kid and thinking it was like the most relaxing thing ever because he He's got this real soft voice, y'all, and he's just painting those happy clouds and those happy trees. And I, I get it. Well, as British journalist Rodri Marsden put it in an article about ASMR in The Independent, he, he explains how Bob Ross clearly ticks all of the ASMR boxes. Expertise, precision, reassuring speech patterns and gentle sounds from which that characteristic tingling inevitably follows. And so um, along similar lines, other commentaries triggers are massage, obviously, I mean, that's going to probably be very relaxing, getting a a manicure, pedicure, getting a haircut, uh, just soothing voices in general, as we've said, someone paying extremely close attention to a task. And I have heard anecdotally about one that reminded me of that, the, the thing about someone paying close attention to a task. Someone I know says that their ASMR trigger has been when uh, in school, if a teacher or professor is reading a paper that they wrote in front of them, just like that. And it's that close attention and then like or, or reading it aloud. 
Hmm. I don't know what it is. I don't. Yeah, I might need a listener to write in and ex- explain that one because I know there are videos of like people folding towels for a yeah. while. Yeah, and I just like as someone who hates to put away my laundry and fold it, I'm like, oh, I don't. Okay. Well, well it's more of the the towel folding tutorial, and I've wa- <laughs> a, a lot of these videos too are simulations and kind of role playing, which again mm-hmm. gets people thinking that it's a weird fetish thing. Um, but it really is all just about these noise. And um, as part of my research for this podcast, I tried to watch one on uh, a haircut. It was a simulation that, that you, the viewer, were getting a haircut. And the woman had a 3D microphone. So it actually sounded like she was walking around, uh, you know, and, and trimming all parts of, of your hair and playing with your hair and stuff. And, and I kind of got it. But then once it, it required the certain detachment, because once my brain kicked in and said, Kristen, you're watching a video in which you're having to pretend that this woman you don't know is cutting your hair. This is very strange. I just, and then I just lost it. I couldn't. Yeah, I would imagine as part of the whole process of, of relaxing and getting into it, you really can't be self-conscious about it or be self-aware or aware of, you know, it's, it's definitely a suspension of disbelief. You kind of just have to roll with it. Mm-hmm. But how and when did ASMR first emerge? Cause I feel like it, it's just, sprung up recently, even though, like for you and me both, we have memories of this that go back to our childhood. Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of gained uh, traction earlier this century. On October 19th, 2007, Steady Health Forums member OK Whatever posted a thread titled Weird Sensation Feels Good, describing a strange it- itchy sensation uh, triggered by several different social interactions. And it kind of grew from there. So in December 2008, there was a Yahoo group started called Society of Sensationalists that was launched with a similar purpose, gaining over 3,200 members in less than three years. Yeah, and in 2010, ASMR really went big time with Hug Your Brain Day, which was partially organized by Jennifer Allen, who also launched the ASMR Research and Support website after she coined the term Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response and a related Facebook group. And of course, who catches on to this but Reddit users? Um, so on February 2011, we have the first ASMR Reddit discussion board popping up. All of this, by the way, this timeline is coming from knowyourmeme.com. And I feel like it really hit the mainstream, mainstream uh, on March 29th, 2013, earlier this year, when novelist Andrea Siegel did a This American Life story about her ASMR triggers. Yeah, and everything I read, comments that I see online, people who are talking about this under every article you see about ASMR or column, people are like, oh, my God, I never knew there was a name for this. I have felt this uh, since childhood or I, I feel this every day or, you know, I've always wondered and I just thought everybody had it or or I thought I was the only one who had it. And so it's interesting to watch uh, in, in real time, like the evolution of this concept, whether it's really medical or not. 
uh, online as people talk about it. Yeah, that that online factor has been so important to it. I feel like if, if it weren't for discussion boards and Facebook groups and things like that, we we wouldn't really know about it. We would still every now and then get a cool headgasm and be like, oh, that was nice. And I'll get can't wait for my next haircut. And that's one of the reasons why a slate writer referred to it as this convergence of, quote, technology, alienation and intimacy. So it's become something that we only thought that we experienced. But now there are all of these communities who have developed these little languages around it. Yeah. And so part of that language, I mean, you mentioned evokers, Kristen, the people who create the trigger videos. There are chasers, the people who go to great lengths to experience ASMR. So they might sit on YouTube all day and watch these videos. There was one video I watched that included fingernail tapping, rubbing paper together, whispering. And the one that I I was like, I'm turning this off now. She was like dipping her hands in and out of a bowl of water really fast. And I was like, that just sounds that sounds gross. Um, so, yeah, these videos are made for chasers. And then we have asthmers or even asmarians who are the people who experience this condition, ASMR. And they really go out and seek out these videos in the ASMR community on YouTube, a lot of which are made by women. Yeah, and and the whole point about the videos is that it's a way to get a jolt of ASMR. You know, obviously you can't go and get a massage or a haircut every day, Mm -hmm. probably. Um, So there's this whole community that has sprung up making all sorts of videos specifically geared to, you know, set off those kinds of head orgasms, the celestial washes by trying out different triggers, like the, you were talking about the fingernail tapping, uh, the uh, running fingers over, uh, hairbrush bristles, things like that. And uh, like you said, a lot of them are made by women. And there was an article in Vice magazine about this, and they interviewed Maria, who is uh, known on YouTube as Gentle Whispering. And she says that one of the reasons why women make so many of these videos is that, quote, if a guy is in front of the camera and whispering, there aren't many things he can do that won't seem creepy. (laughs) But I mean, by the same token, though, the first time I watched one, because a lot of them are, it's referred to as a whispering community, because a lot of these videos do involve women. And I'm not going to do this into the (laughs) mic right now, because I'm sure that would be kind of off-putting for people. (laughs) But a lot of the, the videos are women whispering directly into the mic. And the first time I listened to one and watched one, I was initially kind of creeped out, but then once it started setting off head tingles, I was like, oh, okay, this isn't, this isn't so bad. <laughs> it's not so creepy. There are interesting issues brought up, though, of, of what exactly is causing it. Like, we know it's happening, but why do we respond so strongly to, to these whispers? Yeah, and especially and, the feminine whispers. Right, and, and a lot of people have brought up the theory that maybe this is something that reaches back to our mothers. Uh, Emma, a.k.a. Lush Whispers, told The Independent, Maybe it's because of our experiences we had as children, a mother's voice, a kind teacher, a friendly optometrist, because some of those role playing videos are like you're getting a monologue from the dentist or the optometrist, some professional who has to be very close to your face. And she says that it can be a mixture of the sounds and visual stimuli that trigger a response. 
Yeah, in more formal terms, uh, Slate postulates that maybe um, the ASMR videos address a desire to regain some prelapsarian state of mother-child unity. Because um, there are also a lot of videos that involve um, these whispers basically saying, like, you're going to be okay, you work so hard, uh, you know, oh, you're sick, let me take care of you. Like, very nurturing and, and coddling as well. But ASMR blogger Heather Feathers <laughs> um, notes that there are also plenty of male evokers out there, but that they deal with uh, some haters on YouTube because a lot of viewers assume that they won't like hearing a man in a nurturing role or that it will make them uncomfortable, kind of like what Maria of Gentle Whispering said about how, you know, if we see a guy whispering to a camera, it's just automatically going to be creepy. And I did, she, Heather Feathers had some links to some male evokers that she liked, and so I, I watched one of them. And, and he was, yeah, he, he was still gentle and uh, tingly. I mean, I, I don't think that you can say that all men evokers would be creepy, just like I don't think all women evokers are necessarily uncreepy. I think it depends on your video. It depends on what the person's saying. And you're going to find something creepy that somebody else won't and vice versa. So, Well, and this also deals with like how, how we're using the word creepy you right. know, for ASMR people who out there who might be very much into the whispering community would probably take offense at that descriptor. Uh, but at the end of the day, the thing is maybe not creepy, but at the end of the day, it is strange <laughs> to to think about intentionally whispering into a microphone and maybe slowly opening a bag of potato chips and eating them very quietly because that's one of the triggers for people too that that cellophane the crinkly mhm yeah but don't crinkle too loud or too fast that's right that's it's right it's a slow gentle crinkle but um, but again, uh, ASMR community members always want to emphasize that even though you know you use terms like brain orgasm, headgasm, hairgasm, it's not a sexual thing, right? It just I mean it just feels good, but not necessarily in a sexual way. I mean just because something feels good and is relaxing. I mean I think that is why people are calling it you know blank gasm, but mm-hmm. it. Definitely does not equate to an actual orgasm, as people who have had orgasms could tell you. But I do wonder, though, Caroline, if at this point people who are listening who are not familiar with what we're talking about and we're sitting here (laughs) talking about um, having experienced this, if maybe we sound a little crazy. I don't know. Maybe we do. Well, we're usually we're usually more skeptical on the side of things, but once we both started researching this, it was like, oh, oh we, yeah, oh, we experienced this. But I mean, speaking of skepticism, though, like we said at the top of the podcast, when uh, the term autonomous sensory meridian response. ASMR first popped up online, a lot of people did greet it with skepticism. And in fact, when someone first created a Wikipedia page for it, it was promptly taken down because wiki editors said that it lacked scientific evidence. Although now the page is back up and there are no flags on it because I think that it's received 
enough media attention. And there are also some researchers looking into who want to put people who claim to experience ASMR into an MRI machine Mm -hmm. so that they can hopefully see what their brain looks like when it's being triggered to try to figure out what's going on. I believe there's a psychologist at Dartmouth who's doing this. I mean, that's fascinating. I would love to, to know the outcome of that. And I know that that's the kind of stuff that Jennifer Allen, for instance, over at ASMR Research and support was really pushing for like okay this is a feeling that people have it's time to research it and see what's going on and psychologist tom stafford wrote uh for the bbc that yeah you know what maybe the medical community just hasn't caught up to people since people are just now kind of coming together and saying okay there are a lot of us that have felt this and some clinicians think that it could be a, a good thing to glean more insight into because a lot of people use it as a form of stress relief. There are a lot of uh, people who can't sleep, who can only finally get to sleep by watching ASMR videos. So they're wondering if they can see what's going on in the brain, what kind of pathways that it might be triggering, that maybe they could apply that to new kinds of therapies, which could be great. Um, and a lot of people have compared it to... Something like synesthesia, which is a phenomenon where uh, experiencing one sense results in experiencing another one. For instance, a, a common one is called grapheme color. It's where letters might have a color in your brain. Or if you hear or read a specific word, there's a taste that goes along with this. There are a lot of musicians, in fact, um, that have a form of or claim to have a form of synesthesia where they see music in Mm -hmm. colors. And for a long time, kind of like ASMR, synesthesia was written off as just some, you know, trippy whatever. Like it wasn't something that people believed actually existed. But then once the clinical community caught up to it, they realized that, oh, this is actually something that does happen in our brains. Yeah, I thought for a minute when I was reading about that, I was like, oh, my God, I think I have that. And then I started examining why I thought certain letters were certain colors. And I was like, oh, no, that's just because of kindergarten. Because, like, remember your big alphabet charts where, like, the A was the apple, you know, and B was, like, a bumblebee? I'm like, oh, that's because red apple, and that's why I think A is red. And So when you hear Bs, are they always yellow and black stripey? Uh, yeah, apparently. I guess. I don't know, but I realize, no, Caroline, you're not that it's, special. It's just an association. Stop reaching for all of these weird brain cross-wiring conditions. But yeah, speaking of the cross-wiring, though, some wonder whether ASMR is just the result of that, in which a trigger, like watching Bob Ross paint his happy trees, yeah. is stimulating a particular brain region. Some also think that it's related to a serotonin release that sets off all of those calming, happy feelings. Because you can't hit a ceiling with it. Like hmm. some of the, one of the reasons why you, the, the term chaser exists is because if you watch a lot of ASMR videos, you can almost get ASMR'd out. It's almost as though hmm. the brain can develop a tolerance mm-hmm. for it, so it needs to kind of reset. Hmm. So it's kind of addictive, kind of satisfying some need. Yes. And you need more of it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like mental crack. Yeah. But I, I really, I really wish that I could go into an MRI machine. I want to know what's going on in my brain. Yeah. Now that there's language to go with it, I'm, I'm curious to see. And also knowing that there are these videos that are out there 
to trigger them, I'm really curious to know. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, if there are any guys out there who make these videos, I'm, I'm curious to know. Cause there is, I mean, it does seem like it's overwhelmingly dominated by women. Like, what is it about those soft female voices? Cause I know exactly the type of voice that they're talking about mm-hmm. where it's like, ooh, <laughs> it's almost Terry Gross. But not, it's not quite Terry Gross. Terry Gross is too, like, high-pitched and nasally for me and, like, creaky. Host of, of Fresh Air. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy it, but it's not ASMR-ish. I don't know. Um, I'm hoping, though, that listeners who know what we're talking about, write in. Let us know your triggers. Let us know if you watch these videos, if you've made these videos. Also, let us know if you think that we are cuckoo, <laughs> if you have no idea, because I wonder if that, is a different brain wiring too. If there, why would there not be yeah. some kind of relaxation trigger? But also, if you, you know, if you really think that you haven't experienced that, maybe you need to do what I did and think back to when you were like seven and be like, oh, right, hair braiding made me just want to fall asleep in in the library. So maybe you need to, uh, you know, have. Go get your hair braided like once a month or something as a form of therapy. I know all the girls in the office are like in a hair braiding circle. It's like it's the three o'clock slump. We've got to do something. <laughs> We've got to do something to calm down. The boss is really breathing down my neck. Um, but yeah, write in to us about ASMR, if you will. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can send your emails. You can tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or send us a message on Facebook. And we got a couple of letters to read for you right when we get back from a quick break. And now back to our letters. Kristen, I have one here from Jamie. She was writing in about our women's college episode. She says, I just recently graduated from Mount Holyoke, which we were always told was the first women's college in the country, and I identify as transgender, specifically transmasculine slash genderqueer. I am female assigned at birth and identified as trans before I entered Mount Holyoke and was looking forward to being in an environment that would allow issues such as trans issues to be more relevant and potentially safer than co-ed colleges. The semester before I graduated, I and a few other faculty alums and professors in the area who identify as trans, as well as our president, Lynn Pascarella, spoke on the issue of trans folk at all women's colleges. You might notice a lot of trans men at women's colleges. Actually, the issue is trans women. It gets really messy, especially with Title IX, and while I think anyone who's not a cisgender male should be able to apply at a women's college, I quite frankly think that trans women belong at women's colleges such as Mount Holyoke more than I did. There is a lot of work to be done. Gender-neutral bathrooms, ending extreme amounts of essentialist and transphobic language and actions, and just all-around equality and anti-oppression. I really, really loved Mount Holyoke and got an incredible education and made relationships with students, faculty, etc. that I think will last me a lifetime. Also, being a part of the Five College Consortium was great. While I can't speak about being straight at a women's college, I did meet lots of guys at all the schools, some of which became my best friends. Anyway, I had a great time at Mount Holyoke, and I'm really happy that trans issues are being talked about so widely in all types of conversations. So thank you, Jamie. 
Well, I've got an email here from Alessandra about women's colleges. She is currently a senior at Barnard, whoop, whoop, uh, one of the Seven Sisters schools. And she writes, I was originally among the 97% of high school girls whom you quoted who would not consider attending a woman's college. I had never heard of Barnard and checked it out on a whim because my father really wanted me to. I remember sitting down with two students and asking specifically about the lack of boys, God forbid. These girls explained to me that because of Barnard's unique relationship with Columbia University, many of their classes did have boys and that they took several of their core curriculum classes across the street at the co-ed school. Plus, they said, it's New York, there are plenty of boys. And so my fears were assuaged and I was even committed to applying early decision to Barnard as my top choice. However, to my high school friends, I continued to qualify my decision with statements like, oh, well, it's not really an all-women convent or anything because I was the only girl in the living memory of my high school to even apply to a women's college, and I definitely felt socially judged. Three years have gone by since receiving my decision letter, and I no longer feel awkward or compromising over my women's college choice. In fact, more than any other part of college, the all-women component has been the most influential and educational to me. True, it's not for everyone, and true, I still encounter many negative stereotypes from other college students when they hear I attend a women's college. However, I have found that the opportunities and experiences that I've been exposed to as a result of my single-sex education have played an invaluable, informative role in making me the capable and empowered feminist go-getter I am today. P.S. I recommend your podcast to all my friends and I love it. Well, thank you, Alessandra, and good luck finishing up at Barnard. That is an impressive school to go to. And thanks to everybody who's written in. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is our email address. You can follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And you can hit us up on Facebook as well. Like us while you're at it. And we're also on Tumblr at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And don't forget that we are on YouTube as well. If you want to see our faces, you can head over there. We've got new videos coming out four times a week. So don't forget to go to YouTube.com slash Mom Never Told You, and subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 